You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com because good causes deserve better results. Now, here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Hey, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. Thanks for tuning in. Just to be clear, you are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. My job is to extract from our guests the practical, tactical expertise that you can put straight into action. This is a recording of a live Zoom call, and you can join these calls usually on a Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, if you register at nonprofitproblemsolver.com. When we ask how we can get better data or make better use of data or make data-driven decisions, we're soon talking about using technology in some way. Nonprofit tech and data expert Emily Hicks-Rotella talks to me in this episode about the mindset changes that are necessary for those hefty tech investments to work for us. Tech can't do everything, it seems, so we still have to rely on the human element of engaging with technology and putting effort into making the human tech, tech tech-human connection meaningful. Apologies for the odd acronym, we do our best not to geek out. Okay, welcome. It is Nonprofit Problem Solver episode 27. And I have with me today Emily Hicks Rotella, who uh, is going to walk me through a conversation over the next 40 to 45 minutes. We're going to consider for nonprofits how and when, uh, or rather, <laughs> sorry about that, how um, much time and money should I spend in order to make tech worthwhile? So that was the question we settled on, which is basically, there's so many things we could have talked about, weren't there? Um, but before we get in uh, to that, Emily, why don't you just introduce yourself and tell folks where they can find you online um, if they want to follow up with some questions or comments and better understand what you do. Okay, for sure. And we might even be able to get to how and when uh, specifically on spending for tech, but so I'm Emily Hicksartella. Thank you so much, Kev, for talking to me this morning. I'm really excited. And I, uh, I bill myself as the nonprofit data and tech strategist for my uh, firm, which is Make Tech Work For You. And same for the website, maketechworkforyou.com. So if you want to reach me, uh, all my contact and getting on my calendar, you can do through there. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, okay, so let's let's just start at the very very beginning. So I, I you know, in full transparency, I'm an unreconstructed uh, data geek. I've uh, I've had to deal with large large scale data sets over over my career, um, and I feel pretty comfortable around technology. Um, and obviously, you wouldn't bill yourself or be doing the job you do if you couldn't say the same. So for uh, many nonprofits, however, particularly people who are uh, passion and mission led and, and, and create new organizations that they're hoping to scale. The questions around tech and data are sometimes 
uh, afterthoughts or they're delayed and, and postponed until they they're sort of have to address them. Um, but what I wanted to start with is uh, how, do you, how do you sort of introduce this topic to people who are not comfortable with data, not, not used to handling data? And, and in, I mean, dare I say it, there's some overlap between data and, and tech, just even in just even a, a conceptual definitional basis, isn't there? Certainly. Absolutely. So I like to start a lot of these conversations um, by giving my own background because I did not come from a data and tech background to get to, like you said, the description of feeling comfortable using it or having experience. And and I was actually just coaching a, a client yesterday that if they wanted to move up and do this new thing in tech that would help automate some of their processes, they would have to have someone that at least had some confidence to just try it because it could be a little intimidating at first, but we would want them to to gain those skills, especially in-house. So I didn't come from a background in tech. I was working in, I did like music and theater in my early, you know, college studies. I worked in book publishing the first five years of my uh, working career. And I just got interested uh, in finding ways to move nonprofits more effectively and efficiently towards their missions. And at the same time, got introduced to working in data and tech, uh, really for business efficiency, like supply chain logistics kind of things, and thought it it was really a potential for moving the needle uh, in the nonprofit world towards mission uh, achievement. So I just started going for it. I applied for jobs that I had no business applying for. I was uh, really lucky to get a hiring manager who believed in my like passion and energy when I said I could learn it, I could take it on. And then I spent tons of time Googling and getting people to talk to me and mentor me and teach me and lots of hours redoing work that went bad the first time. And through all of that, really found that there were some mindsets that I needed to approach learning this stuff, this data and tech stuff, especially, you know, just specifically in the nonprofit realm. And when I started taking on those mindsets, which are common things that people use in the nonprofit world anyway, critical thinking, problem solving, innovation, grit, resilience, the technical stuff started to come easier to me. So I started sort of testing that out with my colleagues who, as you were mentioning, like, don't come from a tech, you know, perspective necessarily. They're really good at what they do, community building, fundraising, grant writing, whatever it is, but don't uh, put their talents towards data and tech. I started helping them use those mindsets towards the work they had to do in their data and technology in their organizations. That seemed to work well for them. And I just kept rolling with it. And I, I really do believe in the like tagline that you would see if you visited my website, that this is 90% mindset, 10% tech. And I, if I could do it, anyone can. So that's, that's how I typically like to start those conversations with people who might otherwise be apprehensive or reasonably feel hesitant about this topic. Well, that, that's a great story. And I'm sure that humanizes a lot of what may seem sort of cold and remote. And um, I think that there's other, there's other dynamics. There's, you were all aware of the, or have an impression of a fast moving tech world uh, with uh, and you know Silicon Valley sort of casts its shadow on uh, the financial space and and so on and then we're we're sort of in awe of it in in some ways where we're in our communities doing our uh, sort of nonprofit programming it just seems in some respects miles away 
Um, but what you said something in in your in your story there, which uh, I want to come back to, and it's uh, understanding how you move the needle. Because mm-hmm. that was really my entry point. I I only got interested in in the data because um, I was really on the hook for service performance. So I had to know how well the services were doing. And in a sense, that, that was the, you had to know what the needle was in order to move it. I, I think that's why we, uh, or I felt really connected to you when we met on Clubhouse, because at the core, even if the things we're coaching people on are like what our day-to-day activities and job things look like, uh, we were approaching this topic from the same you know, core value, I think, of, of moving the needle and doing what's best for the mission, as opposed to like, what's best for your strategic plan or just best for your data tech systems. Like those things are in service of working towards your mission. Yeah. And I, and, and, and I've noticed a difference in larger organizations, particularly public sector organizations. And I've worked in uh, uh, health, education, social care, and, and then the sort of very small or startup uh, nonprofits. And even some that are sort of approaching that sort of million dollar mark uh, is that on the one hand, the large-scale organizations have tons and tons of data. They have IT teams. They've got all sorts of things going on, not necessarily making best value in this inordinate expense of time and people around their data and their technology. And and so there's sort of there's a there's a glut of information. Or glut of data, but not a lot of information and 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 value coming out of it. And on the other hand, in the small shops, there's almost no data, and and no technology, <laughs> and and you know, sort of anecdotal qualitative evidence. And there's there's got to be some sort of happy medium, where you know people can get really good value uh, out of the the time and energy put into doing metrics or data or understanding the needle, as it were, and doing that well. Absolutely. And I think you're right. It's it's that kind of perfect coming together balance of keeping the mission in mind and all those actions that is are important to the people on the programming team, to the board members, executive team, and coming with the importance of the technology as well to move that towards, uh, towards mission. So together is ideal. Um, but interestingly, I, I did have my first experience in nonprofit was at a very large national in, in the States nonprofit, which also had regional offices that operated somewhat independently, somewhat uh, the same as national, but somewhat independently. When I hear that, I know that's a data nightmare. <laughs> well, it's it was a... Um, we weren't handling, I think, the the people data relationship well enough because what ended up... I sat on the national team... And we had a very large tech budget and tech team. Uh, And I actually spent a good amount of my time really happily um, traveling to regional offices, helping to set up their people with the right skills and mindsets and confidence to use data, both that they were collecting locally and to use the tools and the data that the national organization was providing for them and asking them to interact with. So it seems like we've <laughs> we've come backwards right to the nub of the issue, and I love the way you framed it as a uh, date as a people tech issue. Uh, the relationship again, I've, we talked about humanizing it, the way that that people interact with tech, the technology, and there's a little sort of fair bit of time and attention 
with that, the whole sort of UI UX <laughs> debate about what the experience is and that human interaction with the technology. But the point of it is the data and what it's telling us about what it is we're doing and, and, what, and, and how we use it, 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 it seems to me. I think that's a fair point that um, we don't want to focus on what the technology is itself. Like we can think of it as sort of um, tech agnostic <laughs> because what really matters is the insights we can gain and we gain and the decisions we can make based on the insights and the insights come from the information as you made that connection from data to info to insights. Um, so I, I agree that it comes down to the data. And I also have seen, though, that there are some barriers for people. You know, I only work with nonprofits, so I'm just talking in this sector. But I think this is fair across the private sector as well, that for people who don't consider themselves techies or feel intimidated by data or technology, they have barriers to using the important data that, you know, that you called out to make their insights and, and be data driven. So I really prefer, I like to focus on that specific niche of like helping people feel more confident. <laughs> I feel like they are in control, not that the computer or the data is in control of them and they don't quite know what's going on, that it, they have a really clear understanding and they're, you know, doing the decision making, not some outside force. And, is, and so is with the, the, the mindset issue, do you find that primarily around the data or primarily around the technology or some blend of the two that sort of varies person to person? There, there probably is a, a, a range that we might be able to plop some like small, small to medium to large nonprofits tend to fall somewhere on that spectrum. Um, but I, I think there is a real tide of appreciation for data and also, there is just some forcing factors like donor and grants asking for data yes. that many people that I interact with now understand that it's an important topic and want to be a part of using it, using data, are intimidated in some ways just by data, but also layered on top, getting to their data and using technology to do that does come up as a, a pain point and a barrier. Okay. So when we're looking at how much time and money you need to spend to, to make tech worthwhile. And we've already established that it's really, it's a data issue as much as anything else. It sort of matters where you are with your data in the first place, because tech can't, can't, tech can't necessarily fix a, a data problem, although it can fix some data problems. And I know people who sell tech think it can fix fix a lot more data <laughs> problems than it than it can. Do you do you sense there's a, a bit of a chicken and egg question with tech versus data? There probably is, although um, maybe if we looked at it, the approaches might you might be able to see what factors you would want to choose chicken or egg for each of those uh, with within each nonprofit. There might be a, a culture of data-driven decision-making already, but data is being consumed like very manually, like tracked manually, maybe with paper forms and being entered later manually into spreadsheets. And that it, people might be using data in that way for decision-making or for gaining insights, but they could be doing it a lot more efficiently and effectively with potential different technology systems. 
like a and that's CRM. a best case scenario, I would guess, where where people appreciate the use of data, but they're spending perhaps they're inefficient because it's manual. And so the tech, uh, the appropriate tech platform, uh, bearing in mind the, the implementation and the changeover and the, and the reworking of certain workflows, they, they then can make really good use of the technology because they gain certain efficiencies, but they already understand how to use data. Yeah. Well, Whereas, I'm interested okay. for the, the clients that you work with, you know, have you seen either for individuals or for whole organizations leaning one or the other that they are like kind of data phobic, but not tech phobic or vice versa? Yeah, I think, I think people are now because there's, because we've, we're so used to doing so many tasks on our phones mm. uh, that I think people are a lot less tech phobic than they were. Um, but I don't know that people are as really familiar with the types of data that actually matter. So you, you're right that there's those, those factors around grant makers want to see it. We've got to put things in the uh, annual report. Maybe a board member asks for something. But if you're not using data every day to, to improve your programming or to inform the way that your social media is working or to inform the way that your fundraising campaigns are going – then you're not really using data. No technology is going to fix that because you won't run the reports. You won't look at the dashboards. You won't. And even if you do, you won't know how to then say, now, what do we do? It's the, it's those sort of data skills as opposed to the tech skills. Right. And I think, you know, at the beginning, you said even just the terms, there's some overlap, some kind of Venn diagram that we might see. And, and I think there's a, an ideal Venn diagram that we're talking about where you would have as much understanding and appreciation of data as you would of tech and that those two appreciations could come together to be really powerful. But there might, you, it might be a really good exercise for each organization to look at where they fall on that Venn diagram. Like, is their circle bigger on the data appreciation side than on the tech side or vice versa? Well, here's, this is an interesting question. I think people who are unfamiliar with either would find it almost impossible to, un- to, to, to assess themselves. They would just say, I, I, re- I know I don't know anything, but after that, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah, that, that phrase needs to be put on a plaque somewhere. I don't know what I don't know, because it's, it's a really common one in this work, which in some ways uh, I like to use to our advantage when working with clients, because then I say, great, so you're not limited by a certain tech that you already know and maybe are frustrated with to say, I know it can't do this or it can't do that. So we don't see the path forward for doing the things we want to do. But if you don't know what you don't know, that could be something that you use. Just take a blank piece of paper and start imagining, you know, your most ideal situation of your work, what your tools would be looking like that you'd be using, what your data would look like. And let's just get that out there to know and start the discussion there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that that makes a lot of sense because you can address directly the mindset issues that that you're talking about, and and I think working in a group, you'll fe- you'll find that there are 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 different sets of issues. I guess what I what uh, the the sort of uh, tease in the question of how much time and money I should spend to make it worthwhile is it sort of depends on what your what your comfort level is with the data and what 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 your data management already is. And if it's on paper, then it can be, you can make tech quite, quite worthwhile. The mistake I think 
a very tempting, seductive mistake is to feel that while we don't have any data, let's buy a system mm. and the system will sort the problem out for us. And, and, and I think, you know, how do you let people down gently with when they say that to you? Just, um, I, I've, I think I have heard that uh, question um, and also more subtly, the, just the general thought that like technology has some magic. So even if you do have a data focus, but there's some problems that some tech system will just solve all of them and, and do magic um, and increase your like giving campaigns by 10 times. The, the, the magic, I, I will admit some, some sensation of witnessing magic the first time I saw wireless charging. I mean, I thought, I was like, well, that's actually pretty cool. Because in my whole life, everything, you had to plug it in. I yeah, mean, I no. remember when you plugged in remotes, you know, to the TV. It, this this <laughs> is magic. It is magic. This might be a, a bit tangent to what your original question was, but I, I think this tech is very magical. It does things that we can hardly, you know, understand sometimes, but we can still use it. And in fact... Working with data and technology in nonprofits, I find that there are some systems that build themselves as having a UI or a UX that's so easy and so user-friendly that anyone can use it and have these amazing, make insights out of their data. But in reality, I see many people using those systems and still having trouble connecting to it, having a relationship with it, feeling in control of their work processes, their data, their tech. And I, I think some of that's because they don't have the behind-the-scenes view from that beautiful UI, that easy-to-use UI, uh, to have at least a foundation of understanding about how data is stored, collected, you know, tracked, and manipulated. And I, I really enjoy when I work with uh, clients to be able to have some like spreadsheet work going on at the mm -hmm. same time as, say, maybe a CRM or a beautiful donor you know, database, because having some spreadsheet skills does help you understand what's going on behind that beautiful UI. And I find that that is very useful for people feeling confident and able to use their systems better. Yeah. I think, I think one of the, the, the initial barriers to getting over some of the mindset issues with, with data is recognizing that the numbers are in a, in a bit just like words in, in building sentences and paragraphs and, and pages and reports and that there's relationships here that you need to, to understand. And I think that's a great example with a spreadsheet just because it's a very 2D way of, of, of laying things out that you can then complicate with formulas and, and so on and so forth. And it's, worth, it's worth recognizing that there are a number of different uh, context in nonprofits where we would have issues with data and tech, and they don't all move at the same speed. So you might have, for example, a, lo a lot of nonprofits are, are really comfortable using QuickBooks or or Zero or something to do their accounts, and and they have less of an issue perhaps with the data and tech with from a finance perspective. Uh, and then the programming is maybe a lot of paper and, and manual tabs and stuff. And then you have things like events and auctions and online stuff where it is your, you know, your um, really up-to-date UIs, everything's really flash. Uh, and so, so it's, it's not a, a sort of uniform across all the activities that we're, we're engaged in. I, I think you're right, although more and more in some ways good. Uh, I see how organizations are understanding the importance of connecting their data and 
communicating across different teams, different, you know, holders of information and knowledge. And so when there are, the more you connect these things and maybe, you know, create a single picture of your constituents or your donor, the more the impacts are across the board when a single system or a single like data collector is having issues or needs some improvement, there's room for growth. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering as I'm listening to a speak, if we're, um, avoiding the temptation to really geek out on this stuff. Cause I know I can get, I can get really into the weeds and I'm hoping we're not using lots of acronyms. I know we keep saying UX and UI for, for the uninitiated, which is not what UI stands for. It stands for user interface uh, and UX is, is user experience. Um, I, I want, I, I'm going to throw one other geeky thing through, which is uh, the SaaS systems. There's this, the software as a service S A A S and, and, just to wonder if in your experience in managing the mindset, because I really want to spend the rest of our time on how you, how you deal with the mindset issues, but uh, a lot of software now is provided remotely online. You log in through a browser. Uh, maybe there's a mobile phone or, or, or a tablet app, but it's not something that you store locally. Does right. does that matter? Is that I mean, is that just sort of an industry shift that we've witnessed over the last couple of years? Has that had any bearing on comfort zones or comfort levels or mindsets with regard to the the types of tech that that people might invest in? Because largely, it's now moving. Everything's really moving into that SaaS online format. Correct, uh, and there are you know there are more. Uh, Antonyms to the, or not antonyms, the ending part of that word, there's SaaS, there's also PaaS, platform as a service, there's, I, I don't even know how to pronounce it, infrastructure as a service, IAAS. So that's really expanding, um, as is our just general societal use of the internet and the, the services that are cloud based in our personal lives. So I do think that that um, is an it's an avenue for people to feel more connected to their SaaS systems, right? So you're logging into your CRM, your constituent relationship management system, or your LMS, your learning management system, <laughs> just like you would log into your bank or to your, you know, a college alumni portal, right? There's a username, there's a password, there's something familiar about all of this. Um, and I don't, I don't actually uh, work with the, the hardware folks on any IT teams or if, mm -hmm. if, they're, if I'm working with a nonprofit, sometimes they are also have other consultants that are specific to their hardware needs. Um, so the conversation doesn't come up that much, but I also don't think it's uh, on a lot of people's radar that what's the best kind of choice to keep things on a server, you know, close by or to do it in the cloud. How about not just for access, but for backups? Like, there we could definitely geek out on what IT team decisions. Yeah, on backups, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I we'll think do that. We'll do that offline, shall we, Emily? Yeah. Save everybody the, the pain of listening to that <laughs> one conversation. <laughs> but, but my question was, I guess, is it, is, is it increasing the comfort zone? Is it making your job a bit easier with regard yeah. to mindset? Yes, in a way, although I, like I said, I think some of the systems that are also built as so user-friendly with the best user interfaces that it, it 
creates this uh, thought of magic and ease of use and instant, you know, results without much work across all internet-based, you know, cloud services. So your bank, maybe your bank is really good. They have a great website. You can download all your information. It's always correct. You never have to go back and be like, is this real life? Was this really a charge on my credit card? Like, unless there was fraud or something you forgot, the charges are the charges and the data reflects real life. In nonprofit work, particularly because information is coming from so many ways, because there's so many asterisks, so many off cases, you know, that don't fit the general mold that there's just, it's always going to be a work stream, or it seems there's always a work stream to make the data reflect the real world. And I think Mm -hmm. that that does impact levels of trust and uh, friendly user friendliness, the relationship between people and their systems. Yeah. And I I think the, again, we're back to the sort of, you know, human data tech interface. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, I think we're looking, we're looking at the problems from one side or another. In other words, there's the, there's the collection of data that we need to arrange and put into a system. And then there's the extracting of a system uh, extracting data out of the system to make sense of it so we can make decisions, which is a different function. Uh, and, 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 and I remember, you know, back in the day when, when uh, people would collect loads and loads of information and find like, actually, we had no way of getting it out. We didn't, we, you know, we, I know we fed this beast for years, but we, we actually can't get any of that information out. We can't write the code. We don't know the scripts and all the stuff. And, that, and people don't have to worry really about that sort of stuff in, in the same way, do they? Mm, it's a really interesting question. In many cases, the answer could simply be no, right? Like QuickBooks comes with the top five or top 10 reports built in that you would need and you hardly need to, there's no information they're not including in those reports. You hardly need to do any manipulation of either the data or the tech. But in other cases, no, I, I mean, just... Just this week, I was working with a client that's working with a learning management system that has reports that you can pull within the system, but there are a couple of things that it doesn't pull out and you would need to use their APIs to access. And like geeking out on this, like their APIs only return 10 results per call. So you need a code to paginate or loop through the results to get everything, right? So there and, are and for the, again, the uninitiated API is the connectivity between different apps. So the reason you can connect your uh, your uh, email to your calendar is through an API. Uh, they talk to each other, and and uh, sometimes they are they're off the shelf, and sometimes you have to you have to work around them in a way. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a piece of code that looks unintelligible in many ways, but is basically an English saying like hello, other system that you use, like a Salesforce or a Canvas. Uh, I'd like to get this data from you. Here's like what you need to give it to me and then it will return it back. It's the digital Uh, handshake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or exchange of like an envelope on a park bench. (laughs) (laughs) It's between Um, pages four and five. There's a lot of, yeah, you can do a lot with these connections. You don't just have to pull information out. You can actually push information in. There's a lot of different things you can do with that. But but so that's... It's interesting you mentioned uh, QuickBooks. uh, And then again, I, I can think of a lot of the stuff around 
fundraising or events, the the level of sophistication that we can get technologically seems to rely to some extent on how standardized the data is. In the finance world, it's pretty standardized. In uh, the fundraising or events, it's pretty standardized. I'm a guest. I want to buy a ticket. I want to donate this amount. This, you know, maybe a frequency or not. There, you know, there isn't a huge range. You could, again, we could geek out on field types, but that's not really the that's not really the issue. But when it comes to programming, what actually happens in the field with, say, the people that you're working, or if you're running an, uh, uh, something in the arts and culture or the environmental space, what what data are you collecting to show for impact could be brand new there may be no standardization whatsoever and you have to create you know you're you're in excel or google sheets you know manually collecting numbers because there isn't a system that understands what you're trying to do right and and certainly the core question of like what outcomes do we want what would we need to know to know that we're on the way to getting those outcomes what do we need to know to reflect on our work and see if we need to pivot. Those are questions that you can think of outside of any technology, you know, that that's and those are data questions. Those are the that's the familiarity with the data that you need in order to make the best sense of tech, it seems. I, I think that that's definitely a big factor. But with your development example, as straightforward as I would like it to be for nonprofits, the although some of the data is standardized, you still need a lot of uh, effort in some cases to manage your development landscape. So when you start throwing in not just single gifts or single event sales, but multi-year gifts, multi-month gifts, you know, recurring gifts, when you start throwing in foundations versus individuals, when you start looking at uh, gifts made on behalf of others or needing, uh, well, on a clubhouse, I think we talked a lot about Facebook donations and the pain that that causes to the accounting side of nonprofits because <laughs> they can hardly put it into QuickBooks even. There's not enough information from Facebook to do that. So right, there's right. a lot, there's still like within what should be maybe, and this could be a topic, actually a whole topic on the complexity of donor data and how we can simplify it but, or make it easier. But uh, that is a, a good example. Of like yeah, that, that, that like, yeah, I have to reach for, um, I have to reach for pain relief immediately. I hear that sort of, uh, that's because that's, that's, that, seems, that seems intractable uh, at, just at present. Uh, but, to, but your point is that because uh, we can develop sophisticated systems, we still need to do those digital handshakes, those uh, exchanges of information, and that creates, that's a barrier, that's a gap. And that sometimes that can be, uh, is handled easily and sometimes it's, it's not. Sometimes it's not even recognized until, oh, we can't do that, now we have to fix it. Right, I, yeah, I think to your point that there, it brings up issues of, of mindset and um, organizing around your mission and your objectives and your outcomes that you want. And it also requires a certain openness to learning about tech that can help and, and thinking about where technology might come in as a support, where, whereas in some cases, I think people approach it already with a feeling of this is going to be a lot of work and I'm going to have to learn a lot of stuff. It's change management, which is totally true and valid uh, of having those feelings when you think about how technology could be a support for your mission. Yeah. But it's, again, I think we're talking about, I think we're agreeing that the, 
either you are already somewhere down the road of managing and understanding how to use data and the technologies are going to help you do that better. So your time and effort is spent in, in leveraging the technology to, to perform more efficiently the things that you are already doing, or you're not handling data terribly well. And that could apply in your donor management or even your finance system. If you maybe could, your books could be all a mess. Uh, the technology is not going to fix that outside of you putting that effort in. And sometimes at a, an enormous amount of, of <laughs> learning and change around data management in a short space of time in order to make the tech actually work as it should. Yeah, so you- I, I think we keep, uh, in a great way, keep going back and forth between these polls. And I think that's a, uh, an outcome of the fact that you may, there may be organizations that are kind of on one side or the other, but there's probably organizations that are somewhere on the spectrum and continuing to change. Like some, someone new might come in that has a really data-driven mindset and that changes the culture at the organization for how you think about data and interact with it. Or maybe the same person fills a role that doesn't have that great data outlook, but is just really geeky in tech, you know, just really likes it for their personal life and is going to apply it in work. So different people and different contexts will change, I think, where you are on that spectrum and, and what you have to do to feel like you are having growth in both areas or, or one where you need it the most. Yeah. And, and, and clearly your, your objective in addressing the mindset issues is how they work together. Absolutely. Yeah. I, there's, it comes up often that like, there's really no reason to have wonderful, beautiful, expensive, really cool stuff that I love tech if you're not using it for data-driven decision-making. And as you, I think, pointed out earlier, there's really no reason in collecting data if you're not going to use it for data-driven decision-making. So the tools, the data and the tech on their own without the people are pretty worthless. It's the people that really makes them come together. Okay, so we've you you mentioned the term worthless, and and the in the the title of this episode is the question worthwhile. So we we are trying to get this notion of worthiness and and and, okay. and it, yeah, yeah, you know, and 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 worth. And I think this is this is it. That you've got you've got the human element, the data element, and the tech element. And really, what we're saying is they there there's a there is a uh, a Venn diagram or a golden spot of somewhere the three working well together where. Yeah, I think- Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt, Kevin. I think there is a symbiotic relationship because I do truly believe that there is, you can't not afford to start investing in, let's just stay with data, in your mindsets about data, in committing to being data driven. I don't think you can afford to not invest in that in whatever form that means, if, you know, financially, time wise for your staff, because on, on just a financial standpoint, your donors and your grant makers are asking for that data. So you need to have some commitment and investment to it. On the programmatic side, let's say, I I am obviously strongly in favor of reflection of our work so that we can make sure we're actually moving towards our outcomes and we're providing the most value as we do it and really trying to actually solve our missions, not just pay lip service to doing some nice work, which is great, but we really want to achieve like the end of poverty maybe, or the end of hunger. And to Mm -hmm. do that, we need to be really serious about reflecting on our work and making sure it is the most efficient and effective. And you will only, you will best do that if data is a tool in your tool belt. 
it for that reflection and for that knowledge and, and wisdom. Uh, so I really don't think nonprofits who are dealing with people's very lives and happiness uh, can afford not to invest in being data-driven. Yeah. And, and do you find, it's an interesting term this da- data-driven because I've, I've got a, a love-hate relationship with, with, with the term and it always, you know, it's an innocuous term and obviously to most people just means we'll use data sensibly to make your decisions. But I have seen, and we were talking about mindset here. So I, I have seen situations where uh, people adopt what we believe to be a data-driven uh, approach, but it disempowers the, them as decision makers. In other words, they sit back and say, well, the data makes the decision. And I always, I always push back on that because I thought it was really odd. I think, well, you want to, you, we have to interpret that. You, have, you still have a responsibility as a decision maker to own and, and be responsible for the decision. But there was almost this idea that, oh, to be really data-driven, the numbers talk and we listen. And, and have, you come, have you come across that? Because it made me sort of stop using the term data-driven because I thought it was giving people the wrong impression I don't want data to drive. I want data to help me drive. You know, I, I am a big, I'm a strong believer that words have a really big part to play in this. And so like changing words, like changing contact relation management or customer relation management to constituent relation management makes a big difference. So I think your point to how certain people might interpret and behave based on the idea of being data driven is really important. Um, that said, I don't know. I'm going to keep my eye out for it now, for sure. Uh, I, I think many of the clients that I work with are, maybe they're just in the weeds enough of building their data and tech cultures and systems and processes that they're really reflecting on it a lot and, and saying, like, is this telling us what we really need to know? And can we trust even, you know, what it's telling us that it, it's not, they haven't given up the driver's wheel as much. Uh, but I agree that if that is an outcome of like the idea of being data-driven, that that's not good. Again, like I said earlier, I don't want anyone to feel like their tech or their data is in control of, is controlling them. I want them to feel confident. Exactly. exactly. And, and, and particularly, you know, you mentioned uh, addressing poverty and other profound social issues where we're really talking about uh, human lives at stake and, the, you know, to, to reduce uh, all our decision making to uh, a set of numbers that may or may not be well collected in the first place and well measured that is trying to uh, address those sorts of issues. So it sort of misses the point, it seems to me. We'd be doing the people we serve a disservice to to think in that way. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and that's something that consistent reflection can help with, you know, that if you continue to ask, are, are these numbers serving our needs to know that we're moving towards our missions and questioning how how your data looks, how your data is collected, and you know on the same side how your tech works, is an important part of a successful data and tech culture at a mission driven organization. Yeah, that that that's fantastic. And you 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 find that that people accept that that's their that's the destination that they're trying to get to. The people that you're working with sort of say, yes, that's where we need to be. And we're not quite there yet, but we need to address some mindset issues and behavioral issues. Yes. Many of the, the people that I interact with do, or they're at least willing to entertain it since 
as you can imagine, I, anyone who asks, can we do this in a spreadsheet, all these questions about mission and, you know, needs start coming out. So they at least tolerate it in working with me. But I, I do find that many are uh, in, encouragingly excited about the prospect of having data be a, a tool in their tool belt toward working towards their missions. Yeah. And, and do you find that uh, as a result of removing some of the intimidation and making it real, that it's actually not very difficult to show examples of how uh, a simple data relationship can help improve a process or help improve outcomes for programming or, or any part of the organization? You find that quickly changes minds? Ooh, the the time piece is uh, dependent on context, but yes, more more quickly, I think. Built what uh, what doing that ends up uh, having an outcome of is having people in nonprofit organizations improve their relationships with their data and tech. And I I like can't anthropomorphize this enough. <laughs> like I, I do think because if you if you think about it. There's a lot of times, myself included, but a lot of people working in nonprofit orgs might say like, ah, this, uh, this, this computer isn't working for me. You know, like, I just, I hate this computer. It's just not working. I'm frustrated by my CRM. I'm frustrated by the reports that we get. There's so many emotions or, or like, I'm intimidated. I'm sad about this work I have to do in this tech system. Those emotions come out. And I want to not just get rid of them. I want to flip them. <laughs> I want you to come into work and be like, I love opening up my CRM, not because it does everything, not because it's the perfect system, because I at least understand it well enough and I feel in control of it enough to use it for what I need to do to make it work for me and continually improve. So either in getting new systems and improving existing systems in uh, in improving your own professional development or including t- data and tech in your professional development, whatever it takes to turn that like frustration into love, that I think moves the needle for organizations in their data and tech culture to make it a part of moving the needle towards their missions. Yeah. And, and I think just as we draw this to a close, it seems the frustration is when that tech system is separate to the non-tech works <laughs> and, and actions and behaviors that they do that they, they love to do. And so by you showing them how the the tech stuff helps them understand the stuff that they really love to do and do it better so they get a better result, you bring them closer together. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's uh, I think, you know, if um, someone working in program had a chance for professional development that was directly in their line of work, uh, then they really already connect to and understand why it's worthwhile to invest in building their skills in that area. And I also strongly believe that building their skills in, in the data and tech area will help them in their, their work, like you said. And, and I hope to keep that message going for people and get them to buy into it. That, that's, that's great. That's a lovely message and, and really important work. So just as we uh, close, can you remind us, Emily, where people can get in touch with you or can find you online? Yes, sure. Thank you. So my website is maketechworkforyou.com, all spelled out. And my email is emily at maketechworkforyou.com. So you can reach me through any of those places. And I've got the social links on there as well. So there's a lot of communication methods. That's something I love about technology. (laughs) That we have a lot of ways to get in touch. 
and and I'm I'm sure people will. Thank you so much for uh, spending the the last forty five minutes or so with me. It's been a great conversation. Uh, this has been episode twenty seven of the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. Next time. Uh, on episode 28, I'll be speaking with Catherine Yule about major gifts, if not now, when. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. My guest today was Emily Hicks Rotella, whose website is maketechworkforyou.com, and her email is emily at maketechworkforyou.com. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio. Find him at podproaudio.com. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. For more information, visit kevkayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results.